Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. That's it. Do you recall, call Holly uh, on some of those shows like uh, opening acts or being on bills with some of the other acts of those days um you already mentioned incognito but were there any um like funk or soul bands that shared bills with you guys you know not really <laughs> i think he didn't want the competition you know early on in the 60s now him and Red otis redding had a thing they would they would battle it out on stage you know i don't know who would go on first but i mean they they really had a thing and uh yeah, it was, it was awesome. I, I would have liked to have been there for that, to see that. But sometimes he would have some of his own people, though, like maybe open or something for some right. of those shows. Right. Yeah. Well, the band always had to do a two or three songs before he came on. And, of course, nobody wanted to hear that. But uh, <laughs> I'll never forget one time we played the – I think it was the first time we ever played it, the uh, – the jazz festival in uh, Copenhagen, was it Denmark? No, it was uh, in Holland. One of the big jazz festivals. And um, we came out, band played a couple of songs. Audience was like, okay, you know, okay, we're ready for James. And then we bring the girls singers out and they started singing and the people stood up and started screaming and booing. <laughs> and wave and go away i'll never forget that one it's like oh man it's like james why do you put us to this why do you do this to us because you know they didn't want to hear us and I, I don't i <laughs> i don't blame them but there you go that's what he made you do so yeah that's not an enviable spot to be in <laughs> no. standing between the people and the godfather of soul you know that's right that's right um so um meeting you got some time though at least uh on stage with like fred wesley because he did so many of those arrangements too that were so great for the oh, horns yeah. yeah fred did uh he wrote or scored i think he wrote it most of the soundtrack for uh that movie uh was it what was it uh the payback payback that's right yeah and got no credit for it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that would have made him a boatload of money and um i don't know if he ever got it or not but 
You sure did. And it's funny because they said, uh, said to James, the producers of the movie said, James, we need some, uh, we need a chase scene music and we need a, a romantic music and then we need a, a gunfight music and you know all this they're telling him what they wanted him to, to write <laughs> so he just went in the studio and threw all this stuff down and he said here it is here's your movie you can't do it like that he didn't know that but he said there's your chase scene there's your <laughs> it's like they had to try to make sense out of it you know but, uh, you know, that's not the way you do movie scores. You actually go by the scene. You, you look at the scene, you write the music to this, you know. He didn't know that. But it's crazy because he, he, he lived his whole career that way. It's like, I did it my way. Yeah, okay, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, and he did. <laughs> he did. But wrong or right. You know, and it's so like when he did the album at the Apollo Theater, that became one of the biggest selling uh, live albums ever. And he went to the record company and told them, I want to do a live album. They said, are you crazy? You can't do a live album. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't support it. So he paid for it himself. And then there you go. <laughs> it's one of the best live albums ever. Yeah, he was a trailblazer in so many ways. Um, you know, people, I think, um, at times lost sight of that a little bit because some of the other stuff. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you cannot diminish all the, um, you know, areas that he broke new ground in, and his contribution is just immeasurable. Right, 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 right. Did Doing those shows, did you ever uh, get a little tired of his, like, shtick, you know, that he would do certain things, or did you just uh, have fun with it? I had fun with it. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's paying my bills, so there you go. Had to go with it. Yeah, sometimes it was, there's a few things he did that just drove us nuts. One of them was <laughs> during Man's World, he would, he would <laughs> start naming all these dead people. We called it the dead roll call <laughs> and he would name all these dead people. And then it was like, Oh, come on. Nobody wants to hear that really. And by the way, uh, Tina Turner died today. Yeah. I heard right before we came on rest in peace. Uh, what a and, queen. Yeah. What an entertainer she was, but anyhow, sorry. I didn't mean to digress. Well, we're talking legends. Did you ever cross paths or meet her? I never met her, never did, hmm. never did. I met a lot of people, but not her. But uh, yeah. What was there anybody that you uh, did meet besides you mentioned BB King, um, but just you know when you were part of that, that uh, you, it was kind of a little bit of a thrill for you to to meet. Uh, Sting for one, met Sting, at, and uh, Pavarotti. That's another thing. We played the uh, Pavarotti used to do a show every year, and he'd bring on, you know, pop acts to to sing with him or whatever. And uh, him and James Brown did Man's World, and I stood there and cried. It was so unbelievable. James topped himself that night. 
and Pavarotti was singing Man's World, and it was like with a full orchestra behind them. It was, it was the most awesome thing I believe I've ever heard in my life. I think it's still on uh, YouTube. You can find it. But uh, yeah, that was that was heavy. Wow, was that overseas? Yeah, in Italy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Wow. So, what year was it that you stepped away, and and why? Uh, in '83, I quit because he left. <laughs> he left us stranded in Sacramento, and uh, the whole band just said, "Well, the heck with him. We'll just go and do our own thing." And we tried that for a while, and after it just kind of fell apart. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, we tried to cut an album and whatnot. He sabotaged it, you know, and eventually everybody one by one went back to him, but I didn't. So I stayed away for seven or eight years and and then he gets sent to prison and somebody said, Man, you ought to call him. You can talk to him in prison and ask for your job back when you get out of prison. I said, No way. But I did. I called him. I said, and he said, Mr. Ferris, I want you to be band leader again. I said, Oh no, I don't want to be. And he says, Then you can't come back. So I said, okay, all right, you got me. I'll be band leader again. So that was that. Yep. And then that was like, uh, I don't know, 88 or something. Yeah, 89. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did a, a, a pay-per-view special. I couldn't believe it. After he got out of prison, it was like, are you kidding? Really? And of course, everybody in the world showed up, Hammer and uh, all these people. But uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. Were you surprised when he uh, ended up going to prison, or did you feel like it was just heading that way? Oh, I, I feel felt like it was heading that way because, yeah, yeah, he was erratic and did stuff that I don't know why he didn't get shot. Somebody didn't shoot him because. He would even fight the band sometimes. And every time he did, he got, he lost. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, he wanted to fight me one time. And I said, no, I said, well, I, I'll, I was doing judo at the time. And I said, well, kind of like wrestling. I said, I'll wrestle with you. And he said, what? How are you going to wrestle when I got your ass up in the air? <laughs> Like he's going to pick me up and just hold me up in the air. <laughs> that was his mindset. You know, it's like, okay, you got me there. It's like the same time, uh, the, the time that uh, I had these uh, boots that I had bought and they were terribly uncomfortable. They were terribly uncomfortable. And he saw them on me and he said, ah, Mr. Fast, I like your boots. I said, you want to buy them? He said, yeah, I'll buy them from you. So I sold them to him. And then every time after that, when he'd see me and had those boots on, he said, Mr. Fares, I got your boots. They look good, don't they? Finally, I got tired of him saying that. And I said, well, yeah, they look good, but they're terribly uncomfortable. And he went, yeah, but you can't see comfort. <laughs> he always had a comeback. He would get it. He was the winner of every comeback. I said, you got me there. <laughs> you can't see comfort. That's the, that was his mindset, you know. Just so you can look good. That was his, what he was about. Yes, sir. 
when when uh, you connected with him post prison, um, how different was it from the you know sort of last times you had dealt with him on that level? Well, he was straight because he dried out in prison, and it was it was good. Everything was good, man. We were booking these big big ever. He became more popular than he had in twenty years. You know, once he got out of prison, and it's like, well, okay, gangbusters, here we go. And we started doing these tours in Europe and whatnot. And uh, he had about 20 dancers. (laughs) It was a mess. But, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. And then, then you know, eventually it started to deteriorate. But, yeah, I hung in there. I hung in there. And then after he died, I got immediately called to play with Josh Stone. And uh, I said, I'll take it. So I ended up being with her for seven years and, uh, yeah, that was good. That was, she was, she's superb. She's a fantastic singer. Yeah. And the, the last show we did with her, uh, we were in New Zealand and she would always come out and throw roses to the crowd for the encore. And, uh, so one, <laughs> I stole one of her dresses and I found a wig and put a wig on and when she started throwing the roses, I came out and started throwing some flowers out there too. And the crowd just went nuts. They couldn't believe it. I can't believe I didn't get fired for that. But anyway, it was fun. <laughs> I, I take it she had a good sense of humor. She did. She was, she was nice. She was really a super person. Great singer. And Steve Winwood was fantastic. He was, that was one of the best tours I ever did in my life was with him. He was excellent, excellent singer, excellent musician, nice guy. We used to hike together and whatnot. It was, it was, he loved to hike. That was his thing. So, yeah. How did he catch wind of you or how did that connection happen? Well, funny thing is the two guys I got from my band to join James, one of them was keyboard player, Mike Lawler. He, called me up and when I was living in New York and said, man, why don't you come down and play with Steve Winwood? Did you have to leave tomorrow? I said, I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> and I left immediately and came back to Nashville and, uh, and uh, joined Steve Winwood. And that, that was fantastic. What a good, you know, he had number one hit record that summer when we were on tour. So that's something not many people can get to enjoy, but yeah. It was great. Two of the uh, best blue-eyed solo artists, Steve Winwood and Josh Stone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. True. True. Yeah. Did uh, it, it happen where uh, did Chaka Khan come on stage for any any of the stops no, for Steve Winwood? She should have, because that poor little girl that we had didn't couldn't quite cut it. She couldn't do no. Who can do Chaka Khan? But Chaka Khan, which you know, you know, he was she was on the album, so was. Uh, um, uh, James Taylor. Yeah. But yeah. Shocking. Kind of, that would have been great. That would have been glad you thought of that. <laughs> well, that, um, helped revive her career at a time when it was sort of, sort of, uh, you know, dragging kind of like what James Brown went through. And then Shaka Khan is, you know, got him back big again. And she's going to the rock and roll hall of fame this year. Right. Finally. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's about time, in my opinion. Um, so, uh, any other 
folks that you played with uh, that we would have heard of besides uh, those two? As far as touring, no. Uh, well, yeah, one one other group, The Commitments. It was an Irish band that they, they did the movie called The yeah. Commitments. Yeah, uh, Par- Parker directed that. Alan Parker, I think. What? Was it Alan Parker that directed The Commitments? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> Could be. But yeah, I toured with them for a minute. Not very long, but yeah. Yeah, they were a good bunch of guys and gals. Yeah, they were fun. They were really fun. Talented. They're really talented. That was a good music, one of the better music movies because the music was actually pretty good. Yeah. 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 Uh, for folks that aren't familiar with that, I think uh, I think it came out in the 80s. I think so. Yeah. Check it out. Rent it. Um, so what would you, is there any, um, you mentioned Pavarotti, but is there any other show highlight that just really stands in your mind uh, related to James Brown experiences? Well, uh, like I said, the Beverly Theater with Michael Jackson and Prince was, that's got to be way up there. Uh, the Tonight Show when we did Johnny Carson was was a good one because, <laughs> again, he makes the white guy come out and dance. He made me dance on Johnny Carson. And I got to play a trumpet solo. And then one of the best trumpet players in the world was sitting in the audience, Arturo Sandoval. And then there's Doc Severinsen over there in the band. And I'm like, mm-mm, mm they Of course, they made fun of me. I'm like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Had you ever seen a James Brown show before you became part of that group? Never did. Never, never. Yeah. Yeah, we played a lot of incredible play. We played for in the Kremlin one time in Russia. Don't know how we got that gig, but we did. And we also played in Morocco for the king of Morocco for his, his brother's birthday party, the prince, the prince's birthday party. We played. And uh, they had three acts, uh, Eartha Kit, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then James Brown. And we, we did our set, and it, I mean, we were literally 30 seconds from the show being over. We were doing Sex Machine, and the prince jumped up on stage and started dancing, not bothering anybody, and James stopped the show, took him by the arm and drug him off the stage, and you could have heard the audible gasp in the crowd. It's like, James Brown is manhandling the Prince of Morocco. <laughs> and we thought, oh, no. So anyway, we finished the show, and they took us straight to the airport. We went directly to the airport. Not to, We went to the hotel, got our bags, and went straight to the airport in the middle of the night. They wanted us out of there. <laughs> so it was like, okay, instead of getting the Rolex, which most performers got we heard we got early early flight out <laughs> wow <laughs> we got our heads chopped off but i don't know i don't know <laughs> um holly do you have any uh well i want to ask you is uh, what would be your your favorite james brown track either to listen to or to play back when you were playing them 
I don't know. There's there's so many that I, that I do like. You know, it's hard to pick. It really is. Wow, caught me off guard there. Do you prefer the up tempo to the slow stuff, though? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it, it, at one point in his career, he started speeding everything up. It was like it totally lost the funk, totally lost the groove. And we're like, oh, man, please slow it down. <laughs> but later on, he started slowing stuff down again, so it got funky again. But, yeah, as long as it wasn't too fast, we were good. Yeah, that's what I sensed, too. Uh, at some point along the way, the stuff was too up-tempo. Yeah, way and uh, yeah, <laughs> way too fast. What uh, did you have any advice for horn players um, to properly execute the funk, you know, and be able to stay in that pocket, stay in that groove? <laughs> you know what? We had a guitar player that knew every James Brown song, white guy that was, he knew all James Brown's stuff, but he wasn't funky. And he, I mean, it's like, how do you know every James Brown song and yet you still can't play funky? But uh, it's something you either got or you don't got, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if you can teach it. You know, you can be made aware of it. And uh, that's been the problem with a lot of bands I played with. It's like trying to, yeah, that's not funky enough, but uh, you just really can't teach it. You can't. You got to feel it. It's it's a hard thing to describe, you know. Yeah, even describing it is hard, right? I mean, because it's so much just an innate feeling that you either, either got or you don't, right? Right, right. Um, do you feel like you got funkier being part of uh, James Brown's band? Oh, than absolutely, you were? Yeah. absolutely. Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, I thought I knew funk till I joined him, and it's like, oh, this is what it is. Yeah, whole nother thing. You guys never did a bill that had uh, maybe Parliament Funkadelic on it also, like a Funk Fest kind of thing? No. Um, I think, yeah, I think we did one time. We did. We did one time, but it wasn't like the full-blown production that they usually have. It was like they were the opening act and we were the, you know, but uh, yeah. It was, um, yeah, it was kind of weird because, uh, yeah, they didn't, they just had, you know, George Clinton and uh, doing his thing. And of course, I, I've seen them when I was back in the 80s, you know, when they were really hot. And it was like, wow, that's quite the show. And they took James Brown and, and took his horns. They took his horn section and Bootsy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's and right. catfish. And catfish. Yeah, man. There you go. <laughs> yeah, they definitely ran with the one that he created. What would you say you're most proud of accomplishing in your music career? My career? Still being alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
Uh, I'm so lucky to still be here at my age, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, 76. But <laughs> yeah, it's like a, so many people younger than me have passed. It's like even James was 74. He's younger than me when he passed. It's like, wow, you know, it's too early. Anything's too early, but yeah, yeah. My, uh, What was the question? <laughs> What are you most proud of accomplishing in your career? Just making it through, you know, we're playing all these famous artists and uh, fantastic groups. And um, yeah, I'm still here to tell it, tell the story, so to speak. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm proud of. Well, and uh, we're all very much glad for it, uh, Holly, that you are still with us to tell these stories because uh, they got to be told, you know, and they got to be preserved. And people that maybe weren't around then um, need to know. And uh, it's so important. So thank you for that. And uh, let's see if Tom is still around and bringing your uh, partner in horn playing here. Hey, welcome, Tom. Uh, why don't you tell uh, viewers uh, who you are? Um. Tom Pallardy, I, uh, I was listening to some of the things you all said. Uh, Tina Turner passed away. I, I used to play the breaks for Ike and Tina Turner at the George Edix Club Imperial in St. Louis with a, a wonderful band called the Galaxies and the Bondells uh, singers. Who, the lead singer of that group was, uh, was Bill Staples, who was Mavis Staples' uh, nephew, I believe. Uh, he's still in Atlanta, as a matter of fact. He's one of the few people still around these days. I'm, I'm, I'm catching up to Holly. I'm, I'm right behind him as far as uh, that myst mysterious age that he just let, let you all know about. <laughs> but um, I'm from St. Louis originally. Uh, got to play with Chuck Berry when I was 16 years old. He just comes walking in Berry Park where we were playing and says, how you doing, fellas? Sets up his guitar and just starts playing I, I didn't realize how cool that was till i got to be my age <laughs> and how did you and holly meet first uh there's a band called the 1969 band that, that he's worked with and knows a lot of the guys in and in nashville and i got into that band asked if they need a sax player and they said yeah and didn't even rehearse i knew everything they played I've been doing it since i was about 12 i think and, and holly was playing with them every now and then and uh we just became good friends. I just, he's such a great trumpet player and, a, and an amazing guy. I really, really like old Holly. <laughs> I'll send you a check later. <laughs> 76, Holly, but uh, how many flips are you doing these days? Uh, zero. <laughs> That's okay. Zero flips. That's okay. It's probably for the best. Uh so your, your group is called 1969, and is that still, you guys still play shows with that? or No, they split up. I was the new guy, and I was there with them for 23 years. Um, but they, um, there were a bunch of guys that had gone to high school together in Nashville, and uh, I moved to Nashville in about 75 and, uh, and started playing with them in the 80s, uh, I guess it was. Anyway, uh, it was just R&B, uh, great. You know, we did a lot of James Brown stuff, uh, you know, Jerry Butler and uh, um, on and on, you know. Uh, uh, it was 
It was a fun band, Four Horns. Yeah. You know, what else do you need besides that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who had the, between you guys, who had the best horn section of the R&B bands? You know, when you're looking at Tower of Power, Earth, Wind & Fire Horns, Parliament Horn, all these different horn groups. Is there one that you get, Chicago, that you guys thought, you know, was really it? Gosh, it's, Chicago was great. I mean, Tower of Power is real hard to beat, I think. But 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 Holly's probably more knowledgeable about all that than I am having played with all these people. But but I I mean Doc on the Berry and Tower of Power and the, yeah. those guys were just yeah, so toss tight. up, man. Toss up. Come on, man. Blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, Tower that's true. That's Come true. On. Oh, they're all good about I was I had the pleasure of playing a lot of their music. Back in St. Louis. Yeah, we had Tower Power open for James a few times, a couple of times. Yeah. Ooh. And James said, oh, they're just high school. <laughs> Still digging on James Brown. Still digging on James Brown. That was one of their big songs. And, and more funky white guys, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, they sure were. So, uh, Tom, has uh, uh, Holly uh, laid everything out for us, or are there some uh, stories we didn't hear? Oh, I've, no, I've heard, I've heard a few new ones today. I knew, I knew the one about the about rescuing him. I didn't know that he made two hundred buck, two hundred bucks saving his life. That was that was part I hadn't heard before. But, but that was that's a great story. I mean, it's a, uh, but not, yeah. If, I, I just, uh, it's amazing. I, I think he's got a lot of good war stories about James. <laughs> so you guys are working together currently or what's happening? I, without, without trying to brag, I just, we're working for six months on a, on a new CD of 14 original songs. We just finished it. I just got the CDs a couple of weeks ago. I just sent Holly his copy. Yes. We had horn sections on 10 of them. Uh, and we had more fun with doing this project. I, I dug a lot of tunes out of my early catalog that I thought were strong. Uh, back in the, the opening song, uh, Sam and Dave was holding it to cut back in 1970, but, uh, but they passed on it. Uh, but <laughs> it's just, <laughs> but, uh, but Holly played trumpet and wonderful, uh, trombone player named Billy Bargetsy played trombone from Huntsville. And it was just, I just smile every time I listen to this thing. I'm, I'm just getting ready to, to digitally get it out there on all the, uh, you know, the streaming services and the official release date of it is June the 5th. So is there uh, a website or a place that people can uh, look for that? Well, yeah, my, um, TomPallardy.com, T-O-M-P-A-L-L-A-R-D-Y.com is my website, which is, it's live now. It's almost tweaked to where we want it. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm on Facebook too, at Tom Pallardy. And I have a band called the OMG Band, which stands for Old Music Guys. And we, and we, and we play a lot of R&B stuff. Well, I thank Holly for letting, allowing me to, do this with you guys i've i've totally i didn't fall asleep or anything you know i was it was great <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> kiss my ass <laughs> holly is there anything that you want to plug or are you good 
No, no, nothing. Uh, the James Brown Band is still performing a couple of times a year, but yeah, it's kind of reached a lull point. I mean, 17 years he's been dead, so let's let's let the man go ahead and die. You know, it was great trying to build up, you know, uh, interest in James, but I don't, I don't think anybody knows who he is anymore. I don't know. Oh, well. They know who he is, of course. I think you're being facetious. But uh, all right, well, you guys. Hey, I appreciate it so much. I'm glad we could get the technology together finally. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that, man. I, don't know. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you do your thing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, As a fellow thank saxophone you. player, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. You, Scott. Take care, you guys. Okay. Bye-bye. See you, Holly. Bye-bye. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one. we